Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I ask you to stand a moment longer as we read this morning's gospel. I'll be reading from the gospel according to John, the 13th chapter, verses 34 and 35. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. I'll let you know before I actually get into the message this morning. That last week, in, uh, as a response uh, in worship, we passed out. Now, let me just confess before God and before you, my timing was off. You all didn't really have a chance to fill these cards out. But 35, maybe 36 people last week took this card that says, Things I Love About My Church. 36 of you returned it. Now, down at the bottom is a little box. And those responses were so awesome. They were overwhelming. I got emotional reading probably all of them, but some of them didn't check that we had permission to share. So your thoughts aren't being shared because you didn't give us that permission. Even if you had in your heart intended to give us permission, if it didn't get checked in that box, it was just a rule that we weren't going to use it. So I apologize if your intent was for us to share it. Now, for those that did check that box, we've posted some of those on our Facebook page this week. We also have the balance of them, maybe even all of them, on a bulletin board out here in the narthex. So after worship, I invite you to take a moment to look. Uh, they'll be up for a, a few days. But, in, but before we celebrate communion this morning, our theme has been who has made a difference in our relationships. And so we're going to give you a new card. And this card has that same little box down there. But the, the challenge for us today, the invitation you have today, is for people who made a difference in your spiritual life. Who are the people, or who is the person? Meredith graciously shared Mr. Wilhite. You'll have that opportunity also if you can think of that person or persons who have made a difference in your spiritual life. So be thinking about that, and we're going to get the cards into your hands before we celebrate communion so that you'll have a few moments uh, this morning to do just that, to share those thoughts again. Because we are learning more about this notion of generosity, more about how God has been generous with us, and we're talking about it as a condition of our hearts. But this week I, I thought about country western music. Now, I have fallen prey to Sirius XM radio, especially Willie's Roadhouse. Some of you also may like Willie's Roadhouse or other versions of country western music. But it's, it's, it, I heard someone say that something like this. They describe country western music as, you know, it's that somebody done somebody wrong songs. That's, that's kind of what country music is about. I also <laughs> heard somebody say that if you'll take country western music and play it backwards, you know, that, that kind of thing about subliminal messages, that you will get your truck back, you'll get your dog back, uh, you'll get your job back. And you'll even get your wife or husband back. And so that was just kind of a funny thing I heard about country western music. But I think maybe this genre of music is speaking to a, a deeper condition 
that we have in our culture or society. Think about that. Think about uh, these, these popular tunes acknowledging the difficulties that we face. The difficulties of maintaining relationships, the difficulties of relationships in the workplace and maintaining those jobs, of, of being productive, of being fruitful. And so maybe it's, it's not the, that the music is so cynical or negative, but it is just a reflection of a kind of an attitude that our culture or society has. So I want to read to you another passage of Scripture, and I'm going to reread that passage from John. I'm going to read, some of you are going to say, well, Pastor Brian, that was the Shema, that great teaching from the Older Testament. And so here from Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, verses four through six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Jesus would have known these words. Jesus being brought up as a, as a faithful Jewish boy and becoming a Jewish man, he would have had those words on his heart. And certainly as we read the gospel stories, the gospel lessons of how Jesus lived and acted, how Jesus responded to the world around him, I think we could pretty accurately portray Jesus as one who had taken that teaching, the great Shema, to heart and how his heart reflected that love that he had for God. So here again, John's Gospel, 13th chapter, 34 and 35. Now this is Jesus speaking. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, in that Greek text, in the original Greek text, the new, when Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, that was an emphatic new. It is really the only place in John's Gospel that Jesus uses new. And so we should take this very kind of simple teaching, love one another, as I have loved you, a very upfront, nothing disguised, no parable to unpack, but but a simple teaching, and we should look at that and begin to understand that Jesus is not speaking to his audience that we should love everyone, but that this new community of believers, this emerging church in the first century, this, these people who, who claim they want to follow Jesus, they are the ones that are receiving this new commandment, and it is they must love one another. And yet time and time again, churches bicker. Churches look and point to weaknesses they see in other faith traditions. They, they tear down instead of build up. And I think it is a part of the condition of the heart. Not just of the churches, because we all do that. How many of us have told jokes about other denominations, the differences? And we do far less building up the body of Christ than unifying the body of Christ with Jesus as the head. So Jesus is, is not telling us in this teaching that we should go out and love those that we have yet to love, but, but the, challenge, the, the challenge to our hearts is to love one another. And oh my goodness, the comments I hear and see on Facebook. The comments I hear and see when I, I walk through 
uh, the stores or I go somewhere to a, a ball game and you just hear people who, who might already be wearing a cross around their neck, who might have uh, a Bible in their home or in their car, who, who may even attend a worship service and yet what are they doing? They're speaking negatively about someone else. I wonder if they would act that way if Jesus, who is the Christ, was seated beside them or standing there. And so Jesus teaches us this need for us to have a mutual affection with one another. As we speak in terms of the Trinity, the three persons of the one Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, how they work together to be our God. How they are interconnected, mutually connected, mutually supporting the work of the other. And there is our example, not to to portray ourselves as different from other like-minded people, but to be unified so that we can be about doing the work of God's kingdom, showing that love to other people. But we must start at home. So it's a new thing for us to wrestle with this notion, this, this new commandment that Jesus gives. Think about this, my friends. There was a, a story I read of a, of a downtown congregation in a church uh, planted in a downtown area. And uh, the pastor one day, as uh, he was looking out the window, he saw the custodian of the church. And, and the custodian was a part-time uh, uh, a helper there at the church. And he looked out the window and he saw a man who appeared to, uh, to look homeless, a little disheveled, if you will, uh, laying near the church dumpster out in the back of the church. And the custodian who was there to take out the trash apparently noticed this man laying there. And as the pastor watched, the custodian reached into his back pocket and, and pulled out his wallet and, and appeared to take out two or three pieces of folding money and, and gave it to the man who was stirring near the dumpster. Well, the pastor was touched, and he went downstairs as the custodian was coming back in, and, and he asked the custodian, he said, are you not concerned that, that this man might take that money that you gave him and, and go and buy a bottle of wine or, or go blow it on something that he really doesn't need? Are, are you not concerned about that? And the custodian says, no, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to, is to show that man love. And I have a few extra dollars, and, and that's what I wanted to do. And, and, and that's just who I think we're called to be. And, and the pastor reflected for just a moment. He said, this, this custodian is the lowest paid person on the church staff. And, and upstairs, the church staff all that day was working on policies and procedures of how to handle people who come into the church asking for help. And here was this truest example of someone sharing a little bit of love with someone who is in a difficult situation and not worried not worried about what that outcome would be as far as squandering that money. You see, I think it's through our giving that God changes lives. Think about that. It's through our giving that, that lives are changed. Yes, lives that receive our giving act But think about our lives that can be transformed as we share the gifts that God has given us. Now, yes, finances are part of giving, but so is our talents. So is our time. 
So what are the other many resources that God has given us? There's a, a, a book that Charles Frazier wrote. It was later turned into a movie. The, the book is Cold Mountain. It's set in the Civil War era. Uh, and, and in this setting, there's a kind of a minor character of the story. He's a fiddler. And uh, this, this town that the story uh, takes place in, there's a large explosion and many people are hurt, killed. Uh, there's this young girl who's badly burned, uh, nearing death. And uh, her father thinks that if he can get some music for her, it might just help her transition uh, to the next life. And so uh, he asks, could a fiddler be sent to, to play some music for his young daughter? And so uh, a fiddler who is also a, a drunk, uh, described in the, in the book as a drunk, uh, goes uh, uh, to this bedside of this girl and he begins to play a, a song. And, and, and the music is pleasing to her and, and she asks for another and and, and soon he has exhausted the six songs, six songs that he knows. And when she says, play me another, he says, I don't know no other. And this little girl says, well, that's pitiful. Make one up. And so the, the fiddler used to playing works there in, in the tent and and, and comes up with a piece of music. And as he's finishing, he knows, he sees that this little girl has slipped off. She's died. But it was in that gift, you see, in that realization, as the fiddler walks back to his own camp, he looks at his fiddle time and time again. He begins to wonder that maybe this challenge to, to do more, this challenge to give more of himself might make a difference for the world that he's living in. And so he begins to go to other music opportunities. He visits taverns and saloons. He, he hears other people playing and he begins to, to build a, a new repertoire. He was challenged. And he began to share the gift that God gave him. A very simple gift. But yet he realized that with some encouragement and some work, he could make a difference in people's lives. Friends, that kind of commitment of putting ourselves in that position, of being willing to, 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 be, to, to feel that, that God can encourage us to do more with the things that we've been entrusted, to, to see that lives can be changed, leads to our own lives being transformed. I think it squarely points to what Meredith was sharing about this great joy that comes across us not because we're obligated to do something or expected to do it, but that is who we are becoming because that is who our Savior is. One who gave and gave and gave, even to death on a cross. But remember that commandment. You must love one another. And so we need to take practice. In 2000, I think it was in 2003, uh, I was the youth director at my church, and I took my youth group to Middle Tennessee on a summer mission trip. And while we were on that mission trip, we had the opportunity to, to go whitewater rafting on the Ocoee River in Georgia. Now, if you know the Ocoee River, if you're familiar with the uh, Summer Olympic uh, Games in Atlanta, Georgia, they, they took part of the, the riverbed and, and, and man-made, uh, turned it into some Class 3, and I would suggest even a Class 4 rapid, uh, where 
uh, kayaking and canoeing in the summer games could be held. And, and, and after the Olympic Games, like in a lot of places, those uh, kinds of venues become open to the public. And we were able uh, to go whitewater rafting. I took my youth group on that trip, whitewater rafting. When we got out there and the, and the guides were giving us instructions, they, they told us how they would uh, tell each of the, the crew in the raft uh, when to paddle, uh, when to stop paddling, and, and to how to shift and to do those things to keep everybody safe. And, and I was amazed that there were, uh, most of the time, uh, while we were in those rafts and moving, we were paddling, even though there was a current in the river. And, and it, made you, it made me wonder, why are we having to paddle when the, when the river is already moving? It seems like we ought to be getting a rest. But the guide said, look, if we're going to have any kind of control over this raft, we have to be moving faster than the current under the raft. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me. That's how we were able to navigate some of these rapids. That's how we were able to, to back up and to have fun, to back up into, into white water and then in our choosing release and go down river. But it was through this knowledge that sometimes we need to add power our own power into this swiftly moving river. Friends, our lives are like that. Think about the world that you and I live in. Think about the, the ministry opportunities we have. They're hurled at us. We have people that walk in and help. We have situations in our community or in our world that, that hurl at us. And, and we're, we're, we're left to, to, to make do, to, to help out, to find ways to support, to be God's presence in the lives, but also in our own lives as relationships are challenged, as the world rages around. Think about the change that's going on. How much faster we communicate with one another than 10 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Think about how we, we learn what's going on on the other side of the world in a split second. Think about how something that happens in our community we know within a matter of minutes, not through the old gossip tree, but by communications alone. And then think about how relationships suffer through, sometimes through those communications. Friends, the world is raging around us and if we don't add some power, then we have less hope of being able to navigate. And I think our power that God gives us sometimes is our, is our time. What do we do with our time? Do we, do we engage in prayer? Do we study Scripture? Do we come together with other like-minded people in that mutual affection kind of an opportunity to, to beef one another up, to encourage, to pray for power and for each other? Or do we just simple, simply want to let the river control our destiny? God gives us these tools so that we can have some control of the river of life that we're in. Friends, we've been talking about being generous. We've talked about it. We've named it as extravagant generosity, this, this kind of joy that comes from our hearts. Uh, last week we we had the opportunity to say why we loved our church. In just a moment, we're going to have some cards passed out. You're going to have an opportunity to say, here's some folks that have made a difference in my spiritual life. I hope you take that opportunity. Even if you don't fill out the card, prayerfully consider who has made a difference. Who is making a difference in your life? I can assure you that, that those of us that have been in other churches other than this, and even those of us that this may be our only church home, the, the sanctuary that we worship in, the pews that we have sat in, the confirmation class that we've attended, the, the communion rail that we've knelt at, 
the hymnals that we've picked up and, and used to, to praise God with, the, the classrooms that we've gone to, to, to Bible studies in or small group meetings, the church kitchens that have cooked our meals, all of these things, friends, more than likely were given by somebody else who never had the privilege of being in there. Think about that. And think about our own opportunity, our own privilege to be a part of future generations. We may never be in another sanctuary other than this one. We may never hold a different hymnal than we've already held. And yet, our God, our endless, eternal God, invites us to participate in the generosity of God's kingdom by sharing, by giving, by participating, by being a part of God's love for one another. Yes, generosity is a condition. It's a reflection of our heart condition. And so I hope and I pray that as we prepare to come to our Lord's table this morning, then you can, you can imagine, you can consider the joy that God has for you. If you will say yes, if you will be a participant, if you're that kind of person who thinks you're being obligated or compelled, I hope and I pray that God's power and peace will come upon you. And that you will begin to see that Jesus, the Christ, offers us that great hope. Not in ourselves, but in a, a, in a community of believers committed to being a part of God's kingdom and to inviting other people, non-believers, into that relationship so that they too can come to know Jesus like you and I have. In just a moment, we're going to come to the, the table and I hope and I pray that, that you'll be reflecting upon your own heart condition but also, I'm going to ask uh, Thomas and the other ushers to take these cards. They'll go ahead and pass them out to you so that you will have them uh, for the last few minutes of our worship experience. Uh, but I hope and I pray that, that you will find time to, to make this a part of the life that you are living so that others might hear and see that there are people of faith at work in our church community. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah.